0: You're listening to the Eat With Grace podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Dr. Jackie Nienhuis, registered dietitian and professor of culinary medicine.
1: And I am your co-host, Brooke Fredrickson, registered dietitian and certified diabetes care and education specialist. And we are here to challenge a culture around food and nutrition from a biblical perspective.
0: It's great to be here with Brooke. I'm Jackie, one of your co-hosts, and I always feel uplifted and excited to be able to talk about our faith and to be able to talk about ways that we can push back on the food nutrition culture from a biblical perspective. You know, one of the things that I think, Brooke, you have gone through and that you've probably struggled through is having a child who had texture issues. Other parents probably struggle Um, more likely with picky eaters or eaters that, they've started using food as a reward, not realizing the consequences of it, but they're all kind of surrounding the whole idea of anxious eaters, that that the child is having difficulty with things. Um, Share a little bit of your experience with this topic.
1: Yeah, so I think I've shared in the past that I have a special needs daughter. um, And when she was a baby, she really struggled with textures, we weren't able to transition her from, you know, breastfeeding or bottle to baby foods, because she would spit everything out, or she would gag on everything. And so she was actually on a fully liquid diet until she was four years old. Um, I mean, once she was off formula, we got creative and I would make homemade smoothies for her out of yogurt um, and fruit and you know spinach. And I would try to put as much as I could into them. Um, and then we would supplement too with like PediaSure and things like that, just to make sure that she was maintaining weight and still growing cause at one point the doctor wanted her on a tube feeding. I said, absolutely not. I said, I can, I can get stuff into her. So I did everything I could to do that. Um, but yeah, I mean, it got to a point where I'm like, we can't keep doing this long-term. Like we need to figure out what's going on. And so when she was about four, we took her to a uh, speech therapist uh, who works with special needs kids and, and specializes this. And it was pretty amazing to watch her um uh, she used what I would call exposure therapy so she basically would um you know she would take a cheerio and she would put it in Aubrey's mouth and then not let her spit it out. So she would force her like you know and this sounds horrible to say force but I mean she would just not let her spit it out so that Aubrey had to deal with the texture right because her initial reaction was just to push it out of her mouth well she had to make her sit there and be a little uncomfortable and deal with this you know This new thing in her mouth, and what was she gonna do with it? And so I think, you know, the first couple of times they tried it, um, she would just hold it in there until it dissolved and got mushy or whatever, you know, um, which is why she used Cheerios. It's one of those safe, dissolvable foods. Um, It's not a choking risk, but it was like literally the second visit, the second time we went, um, she was able to push it back to the back part of her mouth. Um, and she actually chewed it and she swallowed it and it was like a switch went off in her and from there on out she ate everything like there was there was nothing that she wouldn't eat and so it's like um, I'm so thankful for speech therapy and for their ability to do that because I as a mom didn't I didn't have the skills or the knowledge to do that I don't think I would have had the even the confidence <laughs> to try something like that, um, without that professional help. And so, so that was just one way that we got her past, past the texture issues. Now I know lots of adults. I know lots of other people who struggle with texture issues as well. And so, um, you know, exposure therapy is one of those that works. And so if you or your child, uh, struggles with that, I would highly recommend going to a speech therapist and, and working with them to do that. because. Um, you, you can overcome it. It, it. And like you said, Jackie, I think so much of it comes from um, anxiousness. Like it's tied to that fear of, um, am I going to choke on this? Or um, for whatever weird aversion you have to certain textures, um, if it initiates a gag reflex or something, but you can work through those things if you really want to. So I would highly recommend doing that.
0: I think that exposure therapy is really interesting. And while I think a speech therapist is really needed for Um, many cases. I think that we as parents um, are responsible for a little bit of exposure therapy when kids transition to solids. So Mm -hmm.
1: yeah, we just didn't know, like she was diagnosed with dysphagia and we didn't know if her actual swallowing mechanism was intact. And so that's why we went the speech therapy route because um, we just didn't want to cause any more problems if
0: there was something physically wrong. Right, but i'm just I'm just saying, um, explain to us how a parent with a picky eater might use exposure therapy. Oh, with picky eating,
1: um, yes, it is art. like this all goes back to uh, Ellen Satter's division of responsibility and making sure that we are not giving in to picky eating. So whether it's taste or texture or um, you know, just a kid throwing a tantrum because they only like chicken nuggets and macaroni and cheese we are responsible for the nourishment of that child. And so we need to make sure that we are providing them nourishing foods to meet all of their nutrition needs. And that includes all food groups, right? Um, And exposing them to those different food groups. If we only give them the same things that they like all the time, they are never going to learn um, or to develop tastes um, for different foods. And so one of the the biggest issues that I see parents doing is, the, is exactly that. They're just always giving in. Well, I have a child that's picky. And so all they'll eat is chicken nuggets and macaroni and cheese. I'm like, well, do you give them any other foods? And they're like, no, they throw a fit. So I just give them what they want. Well, right. <laughs> that's, that's called enabling. And so we don't want to enable, right? If we want to grow, have them grow, um, and to learn how to eat different things, we have to expose them to different foods. And so, it's our responsibility to choose what is served at each meal. You, as the parent or the caregiver, you know, again, this this varies depending on the age of the child. Now, if you have a 16-year-old with this, it's going to be very different than if you have a three-year-old with this. Um, but for those younger ages, you definitely want to make sure that you are exposing them to different things, and you are providing foods that you know that they don't necessarily like at those meals and giving them the opportunity to try them. Now, you don't have to force them to eat them, but if you're giving them a bunch of food that they don't like and they're hungry, they will eventually eat. They will eventually give in and they will eventually try it and they will eat because they're not going to starve themselves over it. And so um, it might be hard as a parent who doesn't like to see a tantrum. It might be hard, you know, to Um, like I get it. I've been there when your kid is screaming and upset and you just want to make them happy in the moment to give into it. But it, I think it really is in the best interest of the child to, uh, expose them to those things and to give them the opportunity to try new things. Because guess what? Taste buds can change. If it's a taste issue, our taste buds recycle every three weeks. We can change our tastes and what kind of foods and textures and tastes we prefer, um, and so we have to stick with it for that period of time, at least to try to transition and get them to a place where they're eating more whole foods, because it's just going to be better for them. Not not only physically, emotionally, but even like socially, like think as they grow up, if they go to people's houses to eat, or they go out to dinner with, you know, for business dinners, and if they're a crazy picky eater and won't eat anything, it's just going to cause a lot of issues going forward.
0: So, Yeah. Okay, that that was a really good overview of some things that parents can do with picky eaters. But you know, sometimes the anxious eaters are the adults. Mm -hmm. And it creates anxiousness at the table, it creates children to be anxious. And it's also one of the reasons I think that we fall for um, trying all kinds of these strange diets. They they seem to go a little bit hand in hand because they meet kind of a psychological and a, a need for some kind of control or, um, you know, action. that that we want to take, want to have take place in our lives. And so if we, um, as adults, decide that some food is toxic or that some food we don't tolerate or that we are sensitive to some food or that some food makes us hyperactive or some food makes us um, gain weight and we decide that those are toxic foods or we decide that we're addicted to that food. All of these things can make us anxious eaters. And being an anxious eater is probably also the reason that these fad diets fail because we're trying them to meet a psychological need maybe we're trying to meet a physiological need of, of, uh, you think it's a physiological need of weight loss, but really it's a psychological need for that weight loss. So it's all intertwined and and because it's intertwined like that, it could be part of the reason that they always fail. You see a friend, they're on this amazing diet. Two months later, you see that they've gained that weight back, but they're on another amazing diet. And so I see these people as kind of anxious eaters, but there's all kinds of different categories of anxious eaters from young children. And we're, I think we're creating anxious eaters in children when like Brooke, we do what you say and just feed the child what they want all the time.
1: Well, and I think anxious, you know, I think that comes from fear. And so if there's some kind of fear about, you know, what's in the food or what the food's going to do to us, that's where the anxiety or the anxiousness comes from. And so like, you had mentioned, uh, you know, people avoiding certain foods for certain things, and I think there are legitimate reasons for people to avoid certain things. Like if you have a health condition and you need to watch your, you know, your your sugar or your carbohydrate intake, or if you need to watch your sodium intake, or if you have a reaction to oxalates and you need to, you know, do that. There are legitimate reasons for doing this, um, but I think it's how we handle it, right? Um, if we are talking about it. Openly, um, I think that can cause more anxiousness. Um, if we're making it a big deal, especially at the dinner table, I don't think it should be talked about in front of other people who are trying to enjoy their food, um, because again, it, it it brings up this anxiety about well, maybe I shouldn't be eating that, or why if you can't eat that, then why am I eating it, and am I bad for eating this? And it just it brings up all kinds of weird things. Um, so I think the person who is, you know, if they're limiting something. I think the best thing to do is to not talk about it. If you can, I think, keep it to yourself, um, do what you can. And then the anxiety, again, it comes from the fear. So when we focus on the negative and all these things that we can't have, can't have, and I'm saying that in quotes or shouldn't have, that's going to create that anxiety where if we focus on the things that we can focus on the, all of these wonderful foods that we can eat and all of the good nutrients that they're providing and all of the things that we are able to have that aren't going to affect us negatively for whatever condition we're having, that completely changes that fear. Like that removes the fear because you're not worried about what you can't eat. You're focused on all of these wonderful things that you can. And it, it's a mindset shift. And I think it decreases that anxiety, which then hopefully um, you know, doesn't come out um, and affect other people around you
0: around food. Okay. So that's a really, really good point that how we feel affects others. Mm -hmm. And um, there's a verse in the Bible that I was thinking it kind of goes along with this because um, it's Psalms 94, 19. It says, when anxiety was great within me, your consolation brought joy to my soul. So Mm -hmm. let's say you're sitting at the table and a person is anxious for whatever reason about the food environment, what we say, does it bring joy to their soul? Does it give them consolation or does it add to their anxiety? Or that person who's anxious, you know, does it bring joy? Does it do their thoughts, feelings, and what they say bring joy to the other people around the table or does it add to their anxiety? So, you know, Feeling stressed is so normal in our world. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, Brooke and I are right there with you. <laughs> we feel stressed about different things in our lives. Mm-hmm. And so it's something we all deal with at some degree. But we don't have to feel shame in feeling anxiety or fearful about what the what's going to happen in the future. But what we don't want to do is operate all the time from that place of anxiety. That's when I, anxiety becomes uh, consuming of you. So if you're anxious about so many things, including food, that's when you have to find ways to calm those fears. And you gave us some really good practical ways to be able to um, calm those fears. You know, one thing that many people finds calms fears are, is exercise. And, you know, I really don't believe exercise will solve all your food problems. First of all, research shows you can exercise to death, but if you eat more calories than you're consuming, you know, that's not gonna fix any kind of problem there. For diabetics, exercise is beneficial. For heart patients, exercise is beneficial, but it's not gonna cure everything. There still has to be some changes of eating healthier. And and, uh, Brooke and I were talking before we came on the air about how exercise produces endorphins in the brain. And it it just makes you feel differently. Mm -hmm. And so that feeling possibly can help you overcome some of your anxieties Um, And I was thinking about, okay, so where does that comfort come from? It could be a new age kind of comfort where I exercise and I'm strong and I am God. That would be kind of a new age-ish kind of view with exercise. But, you know, exercise can do something else too. It can say, I feel good about what I've accomplished. I feel good that I'm stronger than I was last month. And I feel the Holy Spirit moving within me, helping me have confidence to do his work. So it, it's just kind of an interesting uh, segue from looking at all of the different uh, things that anxiety causes in our lives and where our peace comes from. So I'm not saying all exercise produces the peace that passes all understanding, but I do think it could. Right. And like
1: like you said, with the with the endorphins, like God created our bodies with this with these chemicals in them um, to do this. We know that when we increase our endorphins, our depression and anxiety go down. Um, that is one of those things. So yes, if we are feeling anxious, if we are feeling that stress in our bodies, exercise is totally going to do that. Um, do I think God can work through, um, exercise and movement in a spiritual way too. I mean, if we are, if we are thanking God for our bodies and we are giving him glory for everything that we are able to do physically, then yes, that is good. That is good. That is a way that God uses exercise. It's a way that he can use, that we can use our bodies to glorify him. And I think that's good. Um, so, yeah, that's an interesting way to think about it. I'd never thought about that before. Uh, but I do think that, yeah, the the ang- the anxiousness and the discontentment, um, you know, the exercise alone is is going to help. But, right, it really is our relationship with God and, and being close to him and in right relationship with him that is going to um, provide that ultimate peace that you're looking for.
0: And when we're talking about an anxious feeling, a lot of times in the Bible, it'll talk about it coming from our heart. And, um, you know, in Proverbs 12, 25, it talks about an anxious heart weighs a man down. And I feel that so much in my life that if I'm anxious about something that weighs me down and it keeps me from really reaching out and doing God's work. So, I have to think of ways that if I start to get anxious about something, which I'm not normally a real anxious person, but I definitely can get anxious about next Mm -hmm. to nothing at times. Mm -hmm. And so I need to think about pulling out a few Bible quotes, you know, or keeping some in my mind to think about, Um, you know, when I'm going through a hard thing, I like to think of that quote in James, consider it pure joy, my brethren, when you um, face trials and
1: tribulations.
0: Yeah. And, And I think, okay, I should embrace this. It was good. And just like two days ago, I was thinking back to one of the hardest things that I've gone through in the last few years. I thought, wow, I'm so glad that I went through that. I made it through it because I'm going to be stronger for what I'm going through right now. Mm -hmm. Because Jesus showed me there, first of all, the victory has been won, but it seems like Jesus has to show me over and over that he's won this victory. And it helps me remember, oh yes, I've seen victory in this area of my life before. It can happen again. So being, having faith and having hope isn't that a little bit the opposite of being anxious and depressed?
1: Um, yes. Yep. The Bible says, cast your cares on the Lord and He will care for you. So anytime um, we have anxiety, you know, um, don't be anxious, but through prayer and petition, bring your wants and needs known to God, right? But we are called to lay our cares at his feet. Um and if we're feeling anxious, and yes, the only true peace can come through Christ, and so if we're anxious about the food that we're eating, or if we're anxious about a health condition, or if we're anxious about any of those things, of course, we need to, um, need to bring those, bring those issues to God, and let him deal with them, because there's so many things that are out of our control, um, and, but we also know that God works all things for good, so, might not be on the side of heaven that we see it. There might be a bigger reason why we are going through something, but he does work all things for his good, um, according to his purpose. And so just being able to trust
0: him with that is really important. Yeah. My husband and I, we kind of laugh about this, but it's kind of serious. And, and it, it's been so true in our, in our marriage. We say you know, we can't both be down at the same time because if we are, it is, it is horrible. I mean, that's, that's just uh, a recipe for disaster, but God so often makes it. So if one is going through a hard time, the other one can kind of help. And I already mentioned that Proverbs verse, the first part, an anxious heart weighs a man down, but a kind word cheers him up. Mm -hmm. So knowing how to help each other is a part of you know a marriage because yeah. it, the hardest things i think are probably when both of you or your whole family has things that happen that you're all really down like like a death of a child a death of a parent and and then it's so hard for anyone to lift the other up but god doesn't expect us to rely on humans to lift each other up. He wants us to rely on him. So there are some of those really, really hard things in life where there is nowhere to go except prayer. And one of the things I think about um, at the dinner table, I probably feel like I didn't really teach my kids to pray with depth. At the dinner table, Mm -hmm. we prayed these normal Mm -hmm. prayers. Thank you for this food, et cetera. Mm -hmm. My goal would be to teach my children to really pray with depth and earnestness so that when they face the hard things in life, like anxiousness, depression, or whatever they might face, they have a place to turn. They can turn to prayer instead of turning to the things that the world says can help, which are um, empty promises, in my opinion. Right.
1: Let's go back to the, the anxious eating or the picky eating. When I think about someone who's an anxious eater, um, a lot of times they also have digestive issues because of their anxiousness. Um, having anxiety when you eat or feeling stressed at that time, even, um, you know, can cause diarrhea, it can cause, um, you know, malabsorption and of our nutrients and it causes all kinds of things. So like, it's so important, um, at the mealtimes to be in a relaxed state um, to be in a, you know, they call it the the parasympathetic nervous system, we need to be relaxed in order for our body to be able to digest and absorb and function the way that it's supposed to. Otherwise, it goes through our GI system too fast um, because of the stress hormones that are raised and involved in that. And so, you know, if, if someone does struggle with um, anxiety about the types of food or even textures of food, you really need to... Address that issue because I think it will cause more problems if it if it goes unaddressed. And so getting some help um to deal with those textures or to deal with um, you know, now like I said, if it's a if it's a specific health related diet that you have to be on because of a condition you have, that's completely different. But again, we can, you know, Romans calls us to transform, to renew our mind. Um, we can, again, Make a choice to focus on the positives. Focus on the good things. Focus on what we can have. Focus on um, what God has provided. Give Him gratitude and glory for everything that that you have, and for your health, and for your body, and whatever you need to do. Um, but just transitioning our thought patterns that way is going to also calm us. Is going to help that eating experience go better, and hopefully get you through um, those anxious times when it comes to eating or, you know, whatever you're dealing with, with your kids and and their eating issues as well. So,
0: so you're talking about the physiological, um, Mm -hmm. effects of food and the digestion. And -hmm. you're also talking about the emotional, uh, connection with food. This is really what's called the gut brain connection. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. this parasympathetic nervous system that controls our rest and our digestion mode is, is really the gut brain connection. And it wasn't a subject we intended to start with, with this whole podcast, but it just kind of, um, you know, went this direction because there is a strong gut brain connection. Now, not always the way that you'll read on the internet and for fad diets. You know, some of those are evidence-based and some of them really don't have a lot of evidence to support their their take on it. But what we do know is that when we're digesting food, energy is being um, conserved so that it can be channeled to digest your food. Your heart rate can slow down. The blood flows, of course, goes to where you need to digest that food. And it's kind of like this, uh, just this way of going from our brain to our digestive system. And I would say most people when they're under stress are either going to lose weight or gain weight. When you're under extreme stress, Very few people maintain their weight. So right there, that really shows that being anxious affects so much else, so much other things in our body, other than just weighing us down, it actually has a physiological effect too.
1: Yeah, it does. And it's so important. That's why it's so important to make your meal times or your eating times, um, as calm and peaceful as you can, like, you know, when we think about our current culture and society and how we are just running nonstop and, you know, like how many people actually sit down for at least 30 minutes and have a meal three times a day, like rarely anyone does that. People are eating in the car and they're eating while they're working and they're eating while they're on the phone and they're scrolling through their phone. And like, when you think of all of these distractions and inputs, that could be, you know, raising our heart rate or raising our stress levels while our body is trying to digest. It's like fighting against it. Um, And so it's so important to, you know, think about that. And this is where the whole mindful eating concept came out of, right, of paying attention to what we're eating and making that food and that eating experience um, pleasant and enjoyable because it does affect us physically. If it's not, we can have physical issues. We don't we don't get the benefit of the food, you know, as well, or as much as if we were in a peaceful environment versus if we're in a stressed environment while we're eating. And so those are some things I think practically, you know, that if you struggle with anxious anxiety around eating for whatever reason, um, you know, try to remove all of those distractions and try to make, try to be intentional about making it a peaceful setting and see if you notice any difference in your anxiety, in your emotions, even taking couple deep breaths before you eat, that can lower your heart rate. It can help to to reduce that anxiety too. So those are just a couple of practical things to
0: do. Yeah, those are those are really, really good ideas. You know, another one I thought of is having a healthy microbiome to start with can help you handle stress because stress, if it causes constipation or if it causes diarrhea, either one of those are not necessarily... Uh, conducive to a healthy uh, microbiome. So eating um, whole foods, eating um, dairy products like yogurt or kefir, eating um, a variety of fruits and vegetables, all of those can help your gut stay really healthy. So, So when you do have bouts of things like problems with anxiety that affects your digestive system, you know, you can withstand them just a little bit more. And that's the diet that you're used to eating. So you're gonna replenish all those kinds of nutrients and things that have been uh, created problems through stress. Also, we've already mentioned, like, if we were going to pick out three really important practical ideas would be to eat in a relaxed state, you know, chewing your food well helps with digestion. And um, we talked about different ways of, of managing your stress. And then, you know, trying to live at a pace that works for you. That's hard. That's really hard to change. But if you take a step back, maybe you can find a few things that you say, okay, this is causing too much stress in my life. It doesn't have to be this way. And then another one is kind of to rewire your brain, like how you think differently about anxiety and say, okay, I'm not going to take on this anxiety myself. I'm going to pray about it. I'm going to leave it at Christ's feet. And just try to take some of that anxiety off of yourself,
1: right, right. And again, just try to focus on on the positives. Focus on what you can and you know what you can do. Um, you know, going back to the to the picky eating part with the kids. If you need help with any of that, feel free to reach out. Um, I would really recommend going to the Ellen Satter Institute. Um, you can look her up online. She has a lot of really good information about how to deal with um, picky eating uh, as a parent. So that would be my recommendation for that. Um, and yeah, texture issues too. If you, if you haven't gone the speech therapy route, I would recommend trying it if, if you were a child or someone you know struggles with, with textures. So.
0: And then another thing I was just thinking of is when you introduce solids, introduce a variety of foods, And keep introducing a variety of foods. Try to have as many different foods available to your child so you don't move into issues with uh, picky eating or texture issues or things like that. Yep, that's
1: the definite way to prevent it. So you got to start early. Okay, well, thank you so much for listening today and uh, we'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to the Eat With Grace podcast. If you haven't already, please consider subscribing so you don't miss an episode. We would love to have you leave a review or comment on our Instagram page.
0: It's been great to share this time with you. and We pray that you have a grace-filled day.